Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. If you ask me, we are truly, truly blessed to have all the musical talent that we have here at Villas Grace. I just want to give a round of applause again for everybody this morning to lead us in worship. At this time, we will bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful as we keep on trucking through this series of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's amazing to see how you showed up before your birth to foreshadow what it is that you did for us on the cross. And then we take what you promised that you would do, then you did, and then you've made another promise for us, and we understand that that is our only hope. I pray that we can be a church family that shares you and you only as the only hope as it pertains to life with those in which you bring into our lives. I keep praying, we should keep praying that you open doors and prepare hearts for others to receive the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Wrestling. Is that how you pronounce it? I never quite understood it. Sometimes words that don't have an R or an A, they get thrown in there like Washington. My grandmother, she was from Southern Illinois. I mean, Southern Illinois, but according to her, she was from Southern Illinois. She called Washington, D.C., Washington, but she also called Hawaii, Hawaii, and she also called Iowa, Iowa. So it'd be no surprise that she would be talking about wrestling as being wrestling. Wrestling is one of the oldest forms of combat. The sport is literally thousands of years old. In fact, there are cave drawings that go back thousands of years that depict the art of grappling. Wrestling was actually known as the focal sport of the ancient Olympic Games. It's been with us for some time. The object of the sport is to gain a superior advantage in position over your opponent. Church, let's face it. We wrestle every single day, don't we? We wrestle with our pride. We wrestle with our own self-sufficiency. And see, what I mean by that is this, and we need to make this very clear from the outset. When we say that we wrestle with our own self-sufficiency, basically what we're saying is we wrestle with the notion that we think that we can do things on our own. Because of our pride, we think that we can do things on our own. And many religions, in fact, every religion outside of Christianity says that you can save yourself. That is self-sufficiency. You're saying, I can do it on my own. You're almost like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think going up that hill. But if we take an honest evaluation of our sinfulness, we should know that that is not the case. 
Do you know what happens when we allow our pride and our self-sufficiency to gain and maintain a superior advantage and position over us in life? Do you know what happens? We falsely believe that we do not need Jesus. When we focus on the work of Jesus, though, however, we realize that only he can give us the strength to gain and maintain a position of advantage over our own pride and over our self-sufficiency. See, the gospel, a.k.a. the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that good news is a reminder that we can't do it on our own. The gospel is founded on Jesus and his finished work on the cross. It's the good news that we've been saved from death due to our faith in him. Wrestle we will, but only because Jesus has made maintaining and achieving a superior advantage over our pride and self-sufficiency possible. It's because of him and his work that we can wrestle each and every day. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title for this morning's sermon is this, Wrestling with God. Wrestling with God. We're going to be in the, the book of Genesis chapter 32 and 33 this morning. The verses, like always, will be on the screen before you, but if you want to follow along in your Bible that you brought, feel free. There are Bibles in the seats underneath you. Last week, as Pastor Steve was reminding us, we were encouraged that Isaac was freed by the ram and we by the lamb. We learned that the ram traded places with Isaac like Jesus traded places with us. The ram was nothing other than foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to eventually do upon the cross. Because we can't get it twisted. And we have to be honest, that should have been us upon the cross, not Jesus. Today we're going to see Jacob wrestle with Jesus. The man in which Jacob wrestles with today in the text is Jesus himself. We're going to see Jacob wrestle with his pride and his own self-sufficiency. We're going to see Jacob rely on Jesus for salvation. Isn't that amazing? To be in the Old Testament like this and make a statement like that? Jacob is going to rely on Jesus for his salvation. So let's get into it. Genesis, starting in chapter 32, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of Jabuk. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? 
And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Amen. As we look at these verses this morning, this is the main idea of what we see in the text. It's precisely this. Like Jacob, the forgiveness of Jesus is our only hope against death and destruction. Like Jacob, The forgiveness of Jesus is our only hope against death and destruction. So the question we ask, what's our clear biblical example of this hope? As it pertains to the text this morning, what is our clear biblical example of this hope coming true? It's the forgiveness and reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. The forgiveness and reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. Some of you may know who the Greek god Hercules is. He was the son of Zeus, who was the king of all the gods. Most notably, Hercules was famous for his strength. Unfortunately, Hercules is nothing more than a myth, he's a fake, he's a phony. It's Greek mythology. However, do you know who isn't? A fake, a phony, and a myth? Who's a real character who really walked this earth? Jacob. See, Jacob was the original Hercules. He was Hercules before Hercules was Hercules. And we see this in chapter 32, verses 24 and 25, where God's word states this. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. See, there are multiple examples of Jacob's strength in the the biblical text. This isn't the only time that we see the strength of Jacob. A few examples would include at his birth... He was still holding on. He was still grasping the heel of his twin brother Esau. He moved a huge stone for Rachel's sheep, a stone that no man should have been able to lift on his own. And we know from the Bible that he worked Laban's field for over 20 years in deplorable conditions. The dude was literally Hercules before Hercules was Hercules. Now, here he is, as it says in the text, left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. See, this man 
This man matched him in strength and in stamina. Nobody should have been able one-on-one to be able to match the strength of Jacob, let alone his stamina. So if Jacob is characterized by his strength, then the question becomes, who is this man that is able to wrestle with him until the breaking of day? Who is this man? Somebody tell me. I can't hear you. Jesus. This man is Jesus. Nobody else could have done this. For as strong as a wrestler Jacob is, Jesus finally overcame him by simply touching his hip socket. Therefore, Jacob's hip was put out of joint. We too should relate to this. We can relate to what's going on here, can't we? When we neglect to wrestle with our own pride, when we neglect to wrestle with our own self-sufficiency, when we neglect to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day, daily, our sin gains a superior advantage over us. Church, we get put out of joint. I don't know about you, but I have to wrestle with my pride every single day day. I have to wrestle with my own self-sufficiency every single day. Church, pride and self-sufficiency leads to death and destruction. And that's why we're saying this morning, and we're going to see more of this in a second, but why we're saying this first and foremost, that like Jacob, the forgiveness of Jesus is our only hope against death and destruction. It's why we're asking the question, what's our clear biblical example of this hope? The forgiveness and reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. And we're going to break this down and we're going to see how this actually happened more as we continue. But first, I want to ask you a question. Has anyone ever asked you what your name is? And then upon finding out what your name is, they finally say, hey, you know, you look like a so-and-so. Or they get your name wrong and then they say, oh, you look like a so-and-so. Our names have meaning, and they're extremely important. Our surnames reveal the history about our family. Our first names reveal our own personal identity. In the Bible, we know that names have meaning, don't we? Sometimes biblical characters, their names change. They're given a new name to reflect what it is that God has called them to do. After all, our name is either written in the book of life, or it isn't. Isn't that correct? Think about that. If you are saved, you don't lose your name. If you're saved, your name is recorded in the book of life. So somebody who doesn't think that your name has meaning is sorely mistaken. So I'd encourage you to look up your name. Get online. You can go to a place like names.org. There's plenty if you Google search. Look up your name and see what it says and see if it matches your personality. We named our daughter Reese before she was born. We knew that if we had a girl, she was going to be Reese. We didn't know her personality. And for those of you that know Reese, and we didn't know what Reese meant when we named her Reese, but Reese means fiery one. 
and it matches both her hair and her personality. So you look your name up and see if it matches. But we also need to remember in our text this morning that Jacob received a name change, didn't he? Jacob has a meaning. The meaning of Jacob means heel catcher or deceiver. Remember Jacob grabbing the heel of Esau as Esau was coming out his mother's womb? Jacob, the strong person that he was, was able to keep a hold of his brother's heel? How about deceiver? Because Jacob also means deceiver. Remember the lentil stew incident? When Esau came home after a long day of hunting and he was hungry and tired and Jacob was fixing a stew and being the manipulator deceiver that Jacob was instead of graciously giving his brother stew, because remember Esau was the firstborn, he had the birthright, he should have had the blessing. What did Jacob do? He plotted and he schemed and he came up with a plan and said, Oh, brother, I'll give you some stew if you trade your birthright for it. So Jacob's name up until this point fits his personality, both a strong man and a very deceptive man. And we see his name change in verses 26 through 30. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now, see, we've established the meaning of the name Jacob as either being heel catcher and or deceiver. He was a heel catcher during Esau's birth. He was a deceiver who manipulated Esau out of his birthright. For those of you who neglect to remember the lentil stew incident, always remember that that had everything to do with Jacob being a deceiver. Up until this time, he lived up until the name of Jacob. The way in which he was conducting his life, he was living in a manner that lived up to the meaning of his name. However, that's all about to change since he wrestled with God. Verse 28 says, Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. See, Jacob's moral character just morphed. He is no longer identified as a heel catcher and or deceiver. He's now Israel. And that name has meaning too. Israel means God contends. And or God fights. Israel can also be interpreted as God's fighter and or he strives with God. Do you see what's going on here? When Jacob wrestled with Jesus, God changed his moral character. Church, do you know what that means for us? Do you know what that means for us? When we know that we are sinners, 
We willingly wrestle with our pride. We willingly wrestle with our own self-sufficiency each and every day. Why? Why do we do these things each and every day? Because we know that our faith in Jesus has changed our moral character. Jesus showed up to transform Jacob, and he's shown up to transform us too upon the cross. We are new creations in Jesus. So, ask yourself this question. You're seeing it happen with Jacob. Do you? Do you wrestle with your pride daily? Do you wrestle with your own self-sufficiency daily? If you do not, or if you think you do not have to, you're in trouble. Because both your pride and own self-sufficiency has gained and is maintaining a superior advantage over you. What's unfortunate, if that's the case, the unfortunate thing is you don't even know it. There's not one person who doesn't wrestle with their pride. There's not one person who doesn't wrestle with their own self-sufficiency. People who think they don't wrestle with their pride or their own self-sufficiency don't think too highly of who Jesus is. And I don't think Jacob walked away with his wrestling match with Jesus thinking anything other than who Jesus was. And we're going to see more of that as we continue. But first, let's ask a question. After Jacob's name change and change of moral character, what does he do next? Does he live up to this new name change? What's the first thing he does? What do you see right now in the text? The first thing he does is this. He asks for a blessing and then names the place of the wrestling match. The blessing we'll get to. But how about verse 30? For those of you that are skeptical and think maybe this isn't really Jesus who Jacob is wrestling with, read verse 30. What's it say? So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He saw God face to face. He saw Jesus. He saw God in human form. And he wrestled with them. And Peniel means face of God. Names have meaning, don't they? The name of the place means face of God. This is further evidence that this Jacob, that is now Israel, wrestled with with Jesus. However, it's important to note what he knows now. Because what does he know now after this wrestling match? If I keep on saying that, I'm going to call wrestling, wrestling. I'm going to sound like my grandma. What does he know now? What's the very end of verse 30 say? The very end. He says, and yet my life has been delivered. I don't know about you, but Jesus is the only one that can deliver anybody's life. Amen? I'm going to say that one more time because the amen wasn't so satisfactory. 
I don't know about you, but Jesus is the only one who can deliver someone's life. Amen? Amen. If we don't get excited about truths like that, how are we ever going to share our faith with others? Come on, let's go. Our God shows up. That's exciting. Let's get into this blessing, though. But first, let's remember our main point. The main point, what we see here is this. Like Jacob, the forgiveness of Jesus is our only hope against death and destruction. The question we're asking of that main point is this. What's our clear biblical example of this hope? Our clear biblical example of this hope is the forgiveness and reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. And that's where we're going to get into this blessing. But first, I want to ask you this question. Who remembers Whiteout? Anybody remember when Whiteout was all we had? The one thing about Whiteout that I never liked, sure it worked, sure you're able to correct your mistake, but the problem with Whiteout is, after you corrected your mistake, you still saw the Whiteout, didn't you? The Whiteout didn't go anywhere. So really, what did the Whiteout do? The Whiteout kind of reminded you that there was a mistake there. Yeah, it's been corrected, but... There was once a mistake. There's still a blemish on the paper. See, this isn't like Jesus. We have a tendency to forgive others, don't we? But we also have a tendency to remember why we had to forgive them. That's not how Jesus forgives. We know that we are forgiven through him, correct? For every sin that we've ever committed and will commit, or we're currently committing, we know that we're forgiven through him, yet we still see the imperfection sometimes in our lives. But that's not how Jesus sees it. He doesn't see it like white out. See, Jesus sees a correction more like spell check. Once you spell check something on a piece of paper, you can't tell after it's printed, can you? The correction's been made, and that's how Jesus views forgiveness. Church, the forgiveness of Jesus is a lot more like spell check than it is like whiteout. And we see this here in our next set of verses in chapter 33, verses 1 through 4. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So here comes the brother in which the former heel-catching deceiver once majorly deceived. Not to mention that Esau's rolling 400 deep. He's got 400 men with him. Now, Jacob's a strong man, but Esau's rolling 400 deep. So what's Israel, because that's Jacob's name now, going to do about it? What any logical person would do. And that, no, actually, no, not what any logical person would. Most logical people would run. But what does he do? 
It says he was found bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. What happens if Esau decides to treat Israel like Jacob did him? What if Esau decides to reenact and remember the lentil stew incident? Verse 4 would read like this, And Esau brandished his sword and chopped off his head. That's what would have happened in verse 4. After all, they had both spent the latter years since the lentil stew incident, threatening death against one another. But fortunately, look at verse 4. It says, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. This is our biblical model for forgiveness. I'd like to call Mike up as we wrap up. Church, this is what happens when we know that God contends. This isn't what happens when we do things on our own. Because in our pride, we want to remember why we forgave if we forgave. But that's our pride. When God contends a heel catching selfish deceiver can be transformed into a believer that is no different than us transformation true conversion happens through Jesus he's taken each and every last one of us and turned us from something that we once were into something that we are now because of him not because of us so by faith, we wrestle with our pride daily. That doesn't mean that we're not going to still wrestle with our pride. That doesn't mean we're not going to still daily wrestle with our own tendency to rely on our own self-sufficiency. By faith, we have the confidence to admit our sin in order for our lives to be delivered. And this faith of ours is in Jesus Christ. The same Jesus who showed up to wrestle Jacob is the same Jesus who died by showing up for us upon the cross in order to wipe away former sins like spell check to a misspelling. Jesus blessed Jacob, Israel, by not using whiteout. If you're confident in your salvation, then ask yourself this. This is a fair question for all of us to ask as we see the forgiveness that Esau gave Jacob because of what happened between Jacob and Jesus. That's the blessing. And if you're confident in your salvation, it's safe to ask yourself this question. It's a challenging question to ask yourself and take an honest self-evaluation. But the question is, am I forgiving others like I've been forgiven? Am I forgiving others in my life like Jesus forgave me? Pride and self-sufficiency does not lead to salvation. But forgiveness does. Which is why this morning we said this. Why our main point is this. Like Jacob, the forgiveness of Jesus is our only hope against death and destruction. It's why we ask this question.
The question we asked is, what's our clear biblical example of this hope? Our clear biblical example of this hope is the forgiveness and reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we can continue to learn to appreciate the forgiveness that you have shown us and that we can forgive others the same way and that we can take that truth of what you have done for us by showing up not only just on the cross but before the cross to foreshadow the cross and then what you promised us about showing up after the cross, that we can take that message to others. You are an amazing creator, sustainer, and please do not let us forget that. We pray all of this because Jesus himself has made this possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.